Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore our current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But as you may know, as lenses have prismatic effects, so does the Christian worldview. We have lots of different streams of light, if you will, or different chairs that we are sitting in and discussing, dissecting the issue from today. To my right, I have Melissa. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you here. How are you this morning? Um, doing pretty good. Very, very good. It's a new year, right? She's nervous. <laughs> Which chair are you sitting in, Melissa? Um, I'm covering the culture chair. Very good. Dealing with the Christian counterculture that we need to bring to the culture of the world. Very good. To her right, we have Miss Nikki. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Doing all right. So glad to have you here. Which you chair ready are you for 2000 in? and 2022? Yes, ma'am. Very good. Which mm-hmm. chair are you sitting in? Uh, the chair of politics. Dealing with the political nature of our beliefs, if you believe that God created the universe and you believe in the Bible, you also will realize with enough study that God ordained government, and that is a God-ordained and it needs to be God-led institution. To her right, we have Mr. Charlie. How are you? Good morning. Glad to have you here. We are glad to be here. I think for, if not the most important, one of the most important topics that we've covered up to this point. Sure. I think it's uh, it's, it's a really interesting one, and unfortunately, uh, it's more relevant than ever. Which chair are you sitting in, sir? Let's do theology, and I'll even touch on philosophy a little. Absolutely. I'll uh, warm that chair, too, with you, uh, with the philosophy, until, uh, until Mr. Steve gets here, if he gets here. All right. But uh, dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe, the theology chair. And of course, yours truly will be sitting in the chair of economics as usual, because no one else loves this ugly duckling as much as I do. But there is a value for why you follow God's precepts. You don't follow them out of pragmatism, but guess what? There is an eternal value to following God's word. So today... We're talking about nihilism. If you've read the title, you know where we're going with this. But let's go ahead and start off with a definition. A lot of people have an interesting definition of nihilism. Let's go ahead and look at it from the Webster's 1828. Nihilism, the belief that traditional morals, ideas, beliefs, etc. have no worth or value. Or, number two, the belief that a society's political and social institutions are so bad that they should be destroyed. Let, That's a pretty good definition. Let's let's go around the room real quick here. Chair culture, are we seeing this today? And where do you think this is stemming from? We're, we're definitely seeing this today. And I think it's like stemming from more of the, I guess, the lack of understanding of kind of where our history came from, you know, what we're building up to. Um, but we're definitely seeing this in our in government. We're seeing this in our universities um, as well as with the church as well. Absolutely. We're losing faith in our institutions, and we're going to get into that more in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But to her right, the political chair, let's, let's talk about that for just a moment from the perspective of when nihilism creeps into our culture, what is that going to do to our political system? Well, you when you have that type of mentality, politics is going to change and it's going to become more of a when when culture loses the point of right and wrong and moral value, 
then the government becomes a stronghold that really enters into a dictatorship because somebody's got to take control. And I believe that's what that is what's going to happen. I forget who said it, but um, it was a, it was a 18th, 1800s uh, philosopher, theologian. He said, no one tears down a fence without first asking why it was put up, or at least no one should. Moving mm-hmm. to her right, we have mm-hmm. Mr. Charlie, chair of theology. When we have a lack of faith in the institutions, or even more importantly, the morals that are holding up the foundations, if the foundations be destroyed, what happens? Well, you you digress into a society that we're seeing like right now. Have we seen this before? We have. Uh, It's interesting that you asked that question because one of the thoughts that just ran through my head was, how about the days of Noah? Boy, I tell you what, in, in man sought to do evil continually, how and, about every generation, every other generation of judges? Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And Chronicles and Kings. This is a, it, it's, if this is not properly dealt with, and I thought that Melissa brought up a really good point, and we see it in our churches. Mm. And let me tell you, if the church isn't right on this topic, Society as a whole will just go into utter chaos and fail. So on that note, um, well, first we'll pull over to the chair of economics. And and that's an interesting issue there. When your value structure is Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Because here's the here's the real thing. Where where do we get our values from? What what's our standard? Everyone thinks certain things are wrong. Right. You know, we think napalming babies for fun is evil. There's a reason for that. It's yep. universal. Everyone thinks that you killing their child for fun in a horrible, despicable way is evil. How is that standard universally held? And, because and, because there's a universal standard giver. And when you take away or you erode the foundation and the authority of that standard giver, you are now in the position to rewrite the standard. And the after effects of that are always evil. And that's what's going on. You know, if you think about the four questions that almost every person, I would dare say every person asks at some point in their life, where did I come from? Where am I going to? What is the meaning and purpose of life? How do I reconcile right and wrong? Where did that come from? Those four questions, and we're dealing with the last two there. What is the meaning and purpose of life? And how do I reconcile the issue of right and wrong? That is where we have really failed. So let's go ahead and look at what some of that has had, how that's shaken out and what that's caused in our culture. I believe you have an article from Fox News you want to share. Yeah, I sure do. And let me just give some quick context on this. Um, this particular article has been brought about as a result of a pastor in the Chicago area that is purposed to spend 100 days on a rooftop. And really, it's, it's all to bring attention to this issue of violence in Chicago. And obviously, Chicago is one of the, if not the most violent city in the U.S. 
Um, and they don't seem to really... H-Town just passed them up. Well, I was going to say, it, there's other cities that are giving some great competition here. But I want to take a moment here in, in this article specifically. Let me give you the name of it. And I'm sure John Arthur will, will put the link to it. Um, Rooftop Revelations. Pastors discuss how nihilism is destroying a generation. All right. And so now you want to go back to the definition that we talked about earlier. And now let's give a few highlights of this article. <clears throat> In the Russian novel Fathers and Sons, Ivan Turgenev wrote, A nihilist is a man who doesn't acknowledge any authorities, who doesn't accept a single principle of faith, no matter how much that principle may be surrounded by respect. And if you think about it, that's the U.S. up through I'm going to say the 1970s. We had a lot of respect for faith up through that time. These words may have been written in the 19th century and in a far different culture, but they apply to the young Americans of today who eschew meaningful path of developing themselves into somebodies for the path of instant gratification achieved through wanton violence. Now, there's a lot of other things that I could bring out in this article, but there's one more thing that I want to bring out here. And that's the last paragraph. I'm going to skip right to the end. This is really interesting how the author sums this up. Nihilism thrives on the disconnect of the individual from any higher power or fellow man. And that is why it scares men of faith and meaning like Brooks and Monroe's who have dedicated their lives to fighting it. What they need are more Americans by their side. I want to go ahead and just react to something, and I want to push this around real quick, the, the room. You said something interesting. You said about to the 1970s, there was a respect for faith, for people of faith, the faith in something, faith in, faith in what? Mm -hmm. Have we, in the last hundred years, divorced faith as Hebrews 11 faith? Mm-hmm from our actual lives. And let me put a finer point on this. Let me kind of drill it down a little bit. Have we not secularized our faith to the point where people had respect for faith as though it was our golf handicap? I actually mm -hmm. thought you were going in a different direction there. Let me tell you what went through my mind. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what I was thinking about. Uh, that, there. That's where I'm going. I'm saying we've divorced that. Yes. From our daily lives. I would agree. And so now it's no different than our handicap. So culturally, what happens, Melissa, when we take our quote unquote faith and personalize it? What does that do to our culture? Are we any longer a force for change or are we going to be changed by the force of the culture? Or to be changed by the force of the culture. I mean, if we don't have that respect, if we don't have what what we built upon back in the you know the nineteen seventies when it was when people went to church and it was driven by like you know the head of the household, the man, and when you have a, a godly man as the head of the house, that respect and that faith and that hope, it's, it all kind of funnels to not only to where the church is, but also to the workplace, to the school place, to the community. 
And when you have, when you omit that, it all falls apart. And that's kind of what we're, I think what we're seeing now is that we have this demasculinity um, that's going on and we don't have, so many households don't have that solid male figure. And so when the kids grow up, they don't have that respect for the, for their father, for their dad. And that kind of just de-escalates everything into the culture. And isn't that what Satan does? He takes people and makes them jealous of things that are not theirs. What I mean by that is we've told women that they should be lesser men. And we've, in fact, told men that they should be lesser women. Men should have their more feminine attributes. Women should go to work, be the man, be this breadwinner character when, hey, sometimes that's necessary. All right. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying instead of glorifying the woman in the household, and then, by the way, glorifying the man as the sacrificial, the self-sacrificial provider, instead of creating that as the ideal, not all households are this way, by the way, and that's fine. But as the general rule, we've now said that staying at home is not worthwhile. If you're a homemaker, you're a lazy butt, you know, <laughs> and where it used to be, the woman would raise the kids. So we, when Satan has made us jealous of each other's roles and made us so that he's destroyed the fundamental, we're, we're, we're getting right to it right now. He's destroyed the fundamental institution, marriage. Mm. Yes. That no longer holds the backbone. And so moving over to the chair of politics. Well, you know, I'm thinking what? of a, uh, a story I used to read to my son, Jason. He loved animals, and we were reading about lions. Well, you know the verse that Satan walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, I'm reading to Jason, and I never heard this before, but a lion will come into a, um, what do they call it? Are they packs? Lions? Pride. Prides. And he'll chase off, uh, if a stronger lion comes in, he'll chase off the other lion. Well, the first thing that lion does is he will go through the pride and he will kill all the baby lions. And the reason he does that is in the females then, when they stop nursing, then he can raise up his own seed within the pride. So what you're talking about devaluing the role of a woman is to get to the children. That's what it really is. Because without, when we devalue yes. that role of the woman, the children now are open. Because a woman goes to work and she's not going to have as many children, or they're going to have to go to daycare, and she's going to be involved in their life a minimal amount of time than a stay-at-home mother will She'll be. She'll consign them to the state. So you see, you see this all plays out. So now you have what we're fighting for in our uh, society today is the school feels that they are more equipped to educate your children in the way they feel with their values than what you believe. Yep. You have to wonder how many mothers would like to be home. Well, statistically, polling, 80 to 90%. Mm -hmm. Look, th 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 there's some women that are just entrepreneurs. They want to be out and Great. That's correct. Great. Every opportunity should be afforded. It should be open. 
Proverbs 31 woman was a businesswoman who had her house in order. Hey, she was what? she was a woman who had it together. For those to say the Bible is a misogynistic book, it is not. Oh boy. It is not. You it, don't know it, your Bible. You know, the Proverbs 31 woman was the empowered, not liberated, empowered woman. But let's go back to something that you said a moment ago. Politically, has the government not intentionally rooted out children from certain family groups? And yes. That, you know, yeah, we've, we've talked about it over and over again. Where do they hit the inner cities? Yes. And they want to focus on uh, melanated populations. Again, when, when people say that there's no systemic discrimination in the United States, I'll actually disagree. There is. The welfare system is specifically targeted to root out the man and to take the children and turn them into a voting block. LBJ, again, I say this often enough, and I'm so sorry for those of you who are here. I'll have those N-words voting for us for the next 100 years, said LBJ, right after he instituted the Greater Cities Policy, right after he sent agents to low-income melanated families to say, if there's not a man in the house, we can pay you more than your working stiff man can can make. And prior to that, if you look at those same communities, they were family oriented. 90 something percent success rate in marriage. They were higher. They were more successful. They had less divorces than the white population. And, and they had a a culture of racism that they had to fight every day. And yet... Their families were stronger than what there are today. It's well, very stronger. sad. They, they were stronger for, I'm not in any way saying that that's a good thing that they were fighting it, but persecution does bring out the best oh, boy. in people. Mm-hmm. It, it, sad as that may be. And you know, glad the persecution's gone. Not too cool about this 20% success rate. We just uh, have persecution in a different form now. Well, Well, I guess that's really a wrong word to use. We'll get to that. No, 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 no. no. It's coming. We'll get to that. Moving over to her right. Uh, Mr. Charlie, talking about theology, when you have taken away the remembrance stones, the altars, the places of remembrance, now we have the opportunity to take the institution that God has set up and undermine them, like government, like church, do we not? Absolutely. One of the things that is spoken in God's word, make sure you don't remove the old ancient landmarks. And that was a literal thing that was being spoken there. But I think there's a strong figurative application here. There, you brought up the the quote earlier about the one person that asked, we should be asking why a fence was put there before we tear it down. It goes right to the heart of that. The whole purpose of an altar being built in the Old Testament was to remember. That was the purpose, and to worship. But it was all about remembrance. And when you walked by it, you would remember. Think about what's happening in this country. I'm not here to elevate any side, any person as part of the Civil War. But what what are we doing with, with all the statues? And we're removing them. 
And I submit to you that it won't be too long before we start erecting different ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We already are. Yeah. We are erasing Jesus Christ and putting George Floyd in yes, some cathedrals. Yes, absolutely. And so when you have the opportunity to rewrite history, you rewrite the narrative, and even more importantly, the narrative today, but also the narrative of yesterday, so that you can take the institution and undermine it. That's really what—and what, and isn't that the first sin, what the first sin came from? Yea, hath God said. He undermined the word that God had put out. If you want to call it the institution of that relationship between them, he undermined it. Satan came, the serpent came into the garden and said, yea, hath God said. He came in, he specifically targeted the history, and he allowed Eve to trip over her shoelaces from there. Not that she was wearing any. But moving on over to the chair of economics and a little bit of philosophy here. Suffice it to say, there is a value for your vote. I've said this a couple times and again I apologize for repeating myself but is it not better to control the taxes of the people that you once enslaved if they're working for their own free volition and they can make more money just stew on that for a moment if some if a former slave family or descendants of slaves can make more money a much larger sum working on their own or they can be used as a voting block to get to people who make more money and you control that you may not own it but you control it is that not as good or better than slavery for the person for the tyrant wielding it for the person in power for the tyrant wielding that power yes it is better they've changed mode of operation the heart the black heart of the same liberal church, the same liberal church that said it was okay to own slaves because they were subhuman, they were descendants of Cain. The same people are doing it today in a different way. The same people are doing it a different way today. So, and, and that's really had an effect on our discourse in America. And that's actually, we, we can see some poll numbers that, are reflective of the loss of faith in the church because the church has been, well, we'll get there. But for right now, Miss Nikki, do you want to get those poll numbers? You're talking about the Barna? Yes, please. Okay. So let me start here because um, this is stating here about uh, 78% of Americans still consider themselves Christian. Of course, we know that can't be true because they have a different philosophy of what Christianity is. Um, but I do want to add to this. The start of this decline goes back to the Supreme Court. And this is uh, uh, touching on the Supreme Court decision of same-sex marriage and growing tension over religious freedoms. Um, All point to a larger uh, secularized, um, I can't say that word. Secularized, it's hard. Trend sweeping across the nation. But I want to say that it goes back farther than that. It goes back to when they took prayer out of school. Remember... All children went to school and they started the day with prayer. And a lot of times it was over the speaker that this started. So I want to talk to you. There's 78% of Americans describe themselves as Christian. But the question is, are we living really in a post-Christian society? And I am going to read um, this real quick. I do want to make this statement here is that in 2000, and 
2013, I believe that was 2013, um, 37% would be considered how post, post-Christian, okay? In 2015, 44%. That's a 7% increase. Now, the post-Christian metrics to qualify as a post-Christian individuals, individuals had to meet 60% or more of the following factors. And there were, and just for everybody's note, there were 15 different factors. Mm-hmm. Um, highly post-Christian individuals meet 80% or more of these factors. You know, Jonathan, I'm going to read them because I think it's important if Please you don't mind. Please do, because you have to realize that any one of these is a deal breaker on a Bible belief. Let me rephrase that. Two or three of these are easily a deal breaker on someone being an evangelical Bible believing Christian. Amen. So keep so keep going. And I believe every person who's listening to this will know somebody that de- identifies themselves as a Christian but participates in this. They do not believe in God. Identify as an atheist or agnostic. Disagree that faith is important in their lives. Have not prayed to God in the last year. Have never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree the Bible is accurate. Have not donated money to a church in the last year. Have not attended a Christian church in the last year. Agree that Jesus committed sins. Do not feel a responsibility to share their faith. Have not read the Bible in the last week. Have not volunteered at church in the last week. Have not attended Sunday school in the last week. Have not attended religious small group in the last week. Do not participate in a house church in the last year. Wow. So like I said, I backpedaled for a moment because I realized that two or three of these, you could have someone who is on vacation or something like that, or they're going through a rough Mm -hmm. patch or they're moving churches, whatever. But But there's a few of these that are absolutely deal breakers. Yeah. I mean, the first two, do not believe in God or identify as atheistic or agnostic. Disagree that the Bible is accurate. My question is, is if you believe that God is omnipotent and worth worshiping and you believe the Bible is inaccurate. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is not the God you want to serve. Just do yourself a favor. Get out. And get out. Stay home. Because you're, 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 you're actually not following something consistent. That, that, that it, right it, it there. It's a lame duck faith. Absolutely. And you, and you know, John Arthur, what's really sad here is that when we look at these these 15 items... I have to wonder if every pastor in the land was standing up in the pulpit today and saying, folks, this is the the 15 items that identify whether we're post-Christian, and he read those off. How many would sit there and be aghast? And yet, our churches are filled with people exhibiting these behaviors. And guess what? It's the church's fault. Absolutely. It's the church's fault. Because it's the pastor's we're not, fault. Because we're not willing to risk someone walking out the door saying, look, you've been coming for a long time, but have you made a profession of faith? This is the most important decision you'll ever make. I mean, I'm, I'm not for scaring people off, but if someone can, can float in your church for years and years and, and they have made no profession of faith, and they call themselves a Christian. May I humbly suggest that that as a pastor or as a church body, we're failing this person. And, and so, that's a that's a really interesting one to to dig into. And we'll dig into that meat in just a moment. But uh, to my left, 
Mr. Steve has just arrived. I apologize for being late, Mr. John. <laughs> How are you this morning? <laughs> well, I'm doing fantastic, sir. Got a bit of a New Year's hangover? Is that... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Man, I stopped getting them 20 years ago, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think I think most of the people in the room are teetotalers, but uh, glad to have you here. You, sir, we've been warming the chair of philosophy for you. Oh, fantastic. So uh, you'll be sitting there in just a moment. I'm going to throw a question around the room we've we've kind of gotten through us some of this right now we're talking about the barnacle right now so i'm gonna throw this around the room and i'll get to you uh, okay. uh, as we're as we're wrapping up but let's go ahead and talk about this real quick culture is downstream of theology and philosophy we're watching a post-christian culture develop and 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 i, I would really argue that the barna study is being very favorable when they use the word Christian uh, at this point. We've lost this culture war. How do you think it starts getting back? Because I, I don't want us to curse the darkness and say nothing, right? We, we can't just curse. Of course, the darkness is dark. Of course, evil's evil. Let's be light. So where does that start? You started to hit on it earlier. Where does the cultural change start? I mean, it's got to start with the church. Obviously, um, but I think maybe yeah. even at the home. Well, mm. Yeah, I mean, bringing it starts with home, bringing a family into a church, and then even as as singles. I mean, why are we? Why are singles so afraid of going to church by themselves? And so we're missing this huge demographic that we could easily get a hold of and use these people that are not coming. It's it seems like a waste of amazing resources that we I, have. I love having Melissa here because she brings a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't talk too often about the single person. And and yet, that's where she finds herself. That's where you are, um, John Arthur. And, and the thing is, you know, bringing it together in the home is is one thing for a family. But can a single person impact this thing? That's a great question. That's I know a great question. I know it's a bad word, but Rabbi Zacharias said something very, very poignant. He said, at the center of every single revival, you may think it, it's this or it's that. No, at the center of every single revival, there's at least one person or two people who are working. They know their purpose. They know what they're doing, and they are intentionally going about their day in full submission to Christ. They're in full submission, mm -hmm. and they're walking in the power of the Spirit because they are fully yielded. God is able to use them to bring a revival. Yeah. It doesn't take a group. It doesn't take a church. It doesn't take a president being elected to office. It takes us on an individual level with our families, with our church, and with our cities. That's where that change starts. There has to, for intellectual consistency, there has to be intellectual prowess. <laughs> if there's no actual, if we're just intellectuals who sit within the four walls of our church and we do nothing with outreach, we don't talk to these unreached people groups in the United States, mm -hmm. we're not going to go anywhere. I like what Tony Evans always says. If you want to get things right at the White House, get things right at your house. Amen. And that uh, that's absolutely true. 
It starts with the family. It starts with the family, goes into the church. Remember, there was a day that politicians did not want to offend the church because that meant whether they were going to be voted for or not. Now you can offend the church all day now, long. Now they're looking because to you'll have, fix that. You'll have, LBJ, the greater city's policies. He, in addition to that, he instituted the 501c3 organization. Church could take tax-exempt money if they shut up about his policies. Well, this is a true thing. This is, this is a true thing. But now you have all these politicians that are promoting things that are totally anti-biblical. And you'll have churches stand up and support him and give an excuse why he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and they'll, and they'll continue. So that, that that's a really good segue for your chair. Nice job. <laughs> but let's talk about how culture is upstream of politics. But now we're watching this unfold in politics. When you have a nihilism that creaks in, they're seeking to tear something down what will be erected if we look at history after you go to a post-christian era what is always erected immediately after time after time i'm going to say an unfriendly government it's a stronghold because when you have this in your in your culture you don't have control and no culture can survive somebody's got to be in control either you have moral values and the culture obeys the moral values. We all know robbing, stealing, lying, cheating, murder is wrong. And we all stand against that. But if we don't, somebody will come in. It'll be a strong, a strong hand will come in and it, it'll come in like a fist down upon you and take over. That's what's coming. Because guess what we did with our post-Christian nihilistic tendencies? We undermined the values of that universal value standard mm -hmm. God himself and when we devalue Christ because Christ is the word he is the truth he is, if you want to get super metaphysical truth is Christ mm -hmm. yep. everything that's true you're walking when you are walking in the spirit you're walking in the truth you are like God you he wanted us to be one with with the father as he is one with the father when you are walking in that oneness that is what the Eastern mystics want when they when you look at those religions. That's what they yearn for. That's what they pine for. That is a real yearning. But when you cut yourself off from that, now the person with the biggest stick, the government, gets to decide what that is. Not in a metaphysical mm -hmm. sense, but in a literal, physical, here and now gut reaction. And, and, we and that's can where the bodies begin to pile. We see that, especially in San Francisco. Portland. When you, Portland, Seattle, when you start saying Chicago. defund the police, the police who are there to protect, are they perfect? Of course not. They're human. But there's a, more of them that are very good. Let's let's actually. And talk so about, what's happened in these areas when they want to talk about defund the police? Now you have. Let's this. talk about that, because here's the issue with nihilism. <clears throat> nihilism is a logical conclusion. Yes. When the institution yeah. Yeah. is not maintained, yep. when the institutional decay sets in, yes, you want to tear it down because it's not working, but maybe it needs reforming because maybe mm -hmm. it was a good thing that man has perverted. If it's God ordained and God established and man has messed it up, do not throw God out with man's sin. 
you, I think you always have to come in and make changes. I think we do that in our own personal life. How many of us, you know, today I sat down and was looking over the things I want to do for uh, 2022. And one of them is, what am I going to do spiritually? What am I going to do for personal development? I, how do I improve? Well, what are the areas I'm weak in? Okay, what did I accomplish last year? So you're always personally trying to make yourself better. We should also do that with our institutions. There's nothing wrong with reforming an institution. No. It shouldn't be something that we're scared of. And, and, and there are some there are some police, there are some law enforcement agencies that need, you know, some reforming. Yeah. That doesn't mean that, that the God-ordained institution is bad. It That's just right. means you deal with that institution and you come down on evil where you find evil. And, and you just hit on something right there, John Arthur. So let's move over to the chair out. of theology. Let's let's let you take that away. I I, I want to bring out that it, I probably would disagree a little bit with with what Nikki said there in terms of there's there's officers that make mistakes. Always there are always. <laughs> you always. It, not always. These two are married folks. So yes. you know we have a, we have a lot of fun in our home. But it, there are officers that make mistakes. There, there's no doubt about that. I would dare say, though, that there are officers that are evil. Agreed. They, they've gotten in there. Does that mean you throw out the whole police department? Well, welcome to America. Welcome to the world, folks. We all have some evil in us. So, real question here. Let me let me piss off yeah. all of my friends who are cops right now. Okay, l let me just be really bad here. Do we really need internal affairs affairs to be police officers who are who could be recycled back into the general lot? Great question. I think I think you need to have internal affairs have officers who are advisors who say, "Look, this is what it's like in the field. This is what it is. Need that experience." But do we really need the decision makers to be officers who've been partners or friends with those individuals or do we need a so, so something that that's a temper tribunal. Oh my gosh, I've got Melissa here giving me looks. <laughs> no, I mean I, I volunteer a lot with the with the police department. Um, but no, I absolutely agree. I'm like it shouldn't be, you know, internal affairs shouldn't be in, internal. But like, there should be community involvement. There should be the external people that actually have some skin in the game of what goes on and have them weigh in that opinion as well. So it should be the community but with police oversight so they have that direction. And I think there's a way to do that. You know, and, and, and that's a form of reform that we can actually, I think most people can agree with yeah. that there needs to be a tempered, balanced, non-Spanish inquisition by people who've never carried a gun, internal affairs situation. Now, I think let me they go should be, in, I think they, they'll need some guidance from people who actually know um, you need an officer for every single you person on the board. You need something. But, but John Arthur, the, what you alluded to when, when you introduced me to this part here, you, you said the key word, evil. We have to confront it. As Christians, we have to confront it. We can't run from it. And, and that's, that's where it doesn't matter if it's the police force. It doesn't matter if it's the workforce. It doesn't matter if you're in the recreational place. It doesn't matter if you're in the family. You're going to have evil around you. You must confront that evil. How do I do it? Well, that's where your worldview becomes very important. And I have to tell you, when I was thinking about and, and starting to prepare for this particular podcast, one of the things that I thought about was how important is your worldview 
And when it comes to a topic like this, it is quintessential. Your worldview will dictate what you think about nihilism. Bottom line. Be because here's the question. What's the overarching standard? Is it, do we live in the moment for the now under some game theory social contract, which by the way, that does not hold. The idea that the social contract is a game theory, a prisoner's dilemma, where we ultimately decide that we need to take care of our own because we you know, are going to club each other to death. That doesn't actually work. You look at the animals. Yeah. We, don't, we don't call that lion evil. That's that right. Kills its own, uh, kills the other offspring and rapes the women, rapes the harem of the former owner of the den. We don't call that lion evil, unless it harms a person. Then we have a very different mentality. All of a sudden, that that is ingrained into us because we know that there's something different about the human creature. It's only because we have that standard. Yep. You get rid of that standard. I'm going to throw this in here. Do it. We have a perverted sense of value when you pay your police officers and your teachers who are oh my. enforcing oh my. Our, our societies and teaching our children. But yet we're rewarding politicians. A politician, once they get elected, well, many times, once they're done with the office, they're millionaires. Well... I mean, that can be said over and over again. This is Some of them are millionaires sad. before they start. Well, just but there's remember, a lot of them. They get speaking engagements that are $3,000 even after, but, even after, which is not an unusual per diem. But is a politician more important than the police officer and the school teacher? Unfortunately, the way it, it, don't get me wrong. A politician shouldn't be paid anywhere near as much. The problem is, is you give someone the ability to vote to raise their own wages, they're all going to vote to raise, raise their, their own wages. wages yes. Uh, whereas when you're it, given it, politicians the free will to do things that are outside the law that the regular people in the country are not allowed to do, mm -hmm. one thing. Their own health insider trading. Mm -hmm. Their own health care. Okay. Their own health care, and they ultimately are able to do inside trading just by nature of their job. Correct. And they can their, their the own health care, their own uh, ways of being able to develop their own types of retirement plans. This you know, is, I mean, this is it's what we have unreal recalls. what they When this they is what I'm trying to get develop. at is we have a high expectation for school teachers and police officers with a low wage, and yet we have politicians that have a much higher wage and more power, and we have lower expectations. Do you want do you want to know how to fix all of that? Free market capitalism. I'm 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 literally saying get rid of the public education system. Because I, I have so many friends who are public educators. God bless all of you. You are the salt of the earth, and I don't know how you do it. But if they were allowed to work in a competitive environment where one school would snatch another, you know, someone from another, and you would allow these people to actually Oh, their wages move, go way up. Their wages go up. They start to make more because guess what? The, more, the better you teach kids, they the want better you. of a teacher you That's are, right. the more you're able to do. And again, with, with the police, I am not against officers being hired by private companies. I'm not against that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not against that. I'm not against uh, law enforcement agencies being flexible 
and with a public pi- private uh, uh, relation as long as there is strict consequences for misbehavior. Uh, and again, all of these things work. Guess what? Liberty's awesome. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. That's true. You have yep. to enforce the opportunities that you have. Now, I, I want to move over to the chair of philosophy here. Let's talk about this all started out this last round. We started, we've kind of gone a lot of different ways with this, but we started with the Barna poll. That's mostly, we're, we're looking at a post-Christian U.S. Did you get a chance to read that poll before you got in? I believe so, yes. So let's talk about that from a philosophical standard, because obviously theology is upstream of a philosophy, which is upstream of culture, politics, and then economics, your values. Philosophy comes from a good theological rigor. When you're reading your Bible and you have a good understanding and structure and you use your brain, you will come up with some excellent philosophy. Not because you came up with it, but because you just absorbed the wisdom of God. When we see the culture becoming post-Christian, is that a sign that we've lost the philosophical debate? You know, I was reading when you talked about whether or not we've lost that debate. I don't think we've lost the debate because when you look back over history, over time, over time, over time, dealing with culture and the debate that's gone on, it seems like over time, um, culture would seem like... (laughs) It's funny because you see the Hebrews at times they would drop down through God's grace and it would all of a sudden their debate towards God would just completely disappear. Their whole lifestyle, everything. People, you got the Babylonians coming in. You've got the Philistines coming in, taking over and it would seem like their entire culture, everything has disappeared. They've lost everything. They'll go into captivity for 70 years off. Or they'll, they'll disappear for 200 years. 100 years. They'll be gone. And all of a sudden, God brings them back into, the, into their land. God has amazing ways. Mm-hmm. But it all mm-hmm. depends on the people praying in supplication to God. This country has to continue. It is up to the church. Regardless of how far this country falls, people, there are strong people, just like Daniel prayed for so many years, God listened to him. So many people, strong prayer, people gathering in groups, praying to God. God listens to prayers. Now, we all know God moves in his own time and in his own way, not in times of people. I know that. I've, I've experienced that in my own, my own life. I would totally agree years. I want to I'm sure agree everybody here could agree with that. I want to share something real quick. You brought out an interesting point, and I want to share something. I was listening to a Paul Washer sermon uh, a couple of days ago, and Paul Washer said it really interesting. He said, there are no strong men of prayer. Mm. They do not exist. Mm. He says, the people you say who are strong in prayer 
are people who are weak and they know their weakness. They see it's like the person who reaches for a lifeline in the tempestuous sea. They know their weakness and there's a line that has been dropped to them. They're not being pulled out by their own strength. They're only pulling, being pulled out because they're clinging to that line as they, life depends yeah. on it. And You're when right. you cling to your yes. prayers, when you cling to your prayers, you cling to Jesus. That yeah. is when people say, oh, strong man or woman of prayer. No, 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 no. This is someone who's in full submission. It's not their strength. It's they have realized their weakness and sub and absolutely supplicated themselves to the Lord. That is where the that's the strength that we see. Exactly. Is God's strength. And it is only that God has used that person as an instrument for God's own purpose at that point in time. That person may never be used again. Very few people look at the ice sculpture and say, man, that was a beautiful chainsaw. Oh, that chainsaw is so great. Now, other artists might say, wow, that's a really cool, uh, that's a really cool tool you use there. Mm -hmm. But everyone knows to compliment the artist. I like what I heard a woman say. Um, it's, you know, sometimes we say we're working for the Lord. But her, her statement was really a person who is totally submissive to the Lord is just a carrier of his presence. Mm. The man in Chicago, he's carrying God's presence yes. to yes. a lost culture and society. And he's screaming out, I'm here. I care for you. And I have hope for you. That's what that man is doing. He's carrying God's presence. And if we would stop and understand that our submissiveness makes us stronger and by the way, a submissive man in prayer, a man that is totally submissive and knows he knows he needs God, that gives him authority in prayer. Beautifully said. How many men would do that, what he's doing, in the well, situation it, it, that he's and in? And you know what? That's, that's a great question. And if you think about it, there's, there's a few that are joining him for a day or two. Right. You know, I really commend him, and I, I want to tag on to to just what... j just to re just to recap for those who've lost track. This is the pastor is spending one hundred days yes. on the rooftops of in Chicago. Chicago. He's live streaming so that people can see his protest against the violence. And the reason he's calling out is we need to come back to Christ. We need to come back to godly values. We need to put the man back in the home. I want to tag on to something there that what. Steve was sharing, I, I totally agree. We haven't lost the debate. And for those, especially Christians in this country that think that we have, I would submit to you, there are people that are speaking up that we have not seen speak up before. Um, and I've, there are some that have come on the scene and are fairly new. And I'm talking about the, the Thomas Souls. I'm talking about the Larry Elders. I'm talking about the Candace Owens. I'm talking about, and I could go on. Um, I'll even throw this one uh, out. I don't agree with Kim Kardashian on a lot of stuff. But you know what? She's hit on a few good points as well. It's amazing to me that as Christians, we can take a nihilistic approach to looking at life. If we as Christians are taking that kind of approach 
we are the source of the problem. And we ought to take a look in the mirror and figure out what to do about it. Mm. I was reading an article from Medium. I had debated on whether or not to, to source it. I'll, I'll just suffice it to say it was a lot of angry, angry noises about Christians and Trump and Eric Metaxas and everything. But but they did say something interesting. They said they, they used the word evangelical nihilism. Oh wow! Mm. Oh, and the wow. re- and, and so it's very oh. interesting. Yes, I so so that term, like I said, I I was debating whether or not to bring it up, but I'll, I'll go ahead and oh, bring you up the premise. That's a whole other debate. I'll bring you up the premise. I'll bring up the premise, and and there's there's one takeaway here. There is one takeaway out of this. They said that we value certain things like our Christianity more than our institutions, and it's like, well, our institutions came. Because our beliefs inform them, and it's not our beliefs; it's it's the nature of the universe. I'm sorry. It, Amen. It, it, th- mm-hmm. Look, sex, drugs, rock and roll sounds really cool. Okay, if 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 God had not prohibited that, I'd be doing it. But guess what? He prohibited it. And 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 you look at it closely. Chair of economics speaking here. You look at it closely. It's not worth it. There is a reason God said these things. God is not some weird parent who says, no, 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 don't watch this. Don't do this because I said so for no reason other than it bugs him. No, no, no. God laid out the rules because the rules are what keep you safe. This is no different than the cautious parent who says, don't play in the street. Man. Don't stick your fingers in the blender. What an intolerant blender manufacturer. He says, don't stick your fingers in the blender. But it's an alternative lifestyle. I mean, use of the blender. Oh, you get STDs and AIDS. And, and oh, we have the plague from uh, necromancy uh, or uh, uh, necrophilia. Uh, we, we had the bubonic plague hit our shores in the last 10 years because they had a Day of the Dead celebration. They exhumed the bodies and had their way with them. And then they came to our shores. And we had to quarantine these people because they had the plague. Uh, oh, that kind of behavior is bad for, oh, maybe if Jesus is truth, if he is the physical manifestation of truth, if his word is what put the universe into existence in its perfect state, going against that has deleterious effects. God is a good God. God is a good God. As part of that, though, there, if there's good, there is a bad. Because yep. <laughs> because you can fall off of that standard. Mm-hmm. And there's a moral imperative. There is a, because God said so, it is so. And you should, there's a moral imperative because God said it. Most of the time, there is a very real physical consequence also because of what God is and what this universe is. It is a thing that he spoke into existence out of his nature. The order comes from his nature. Love, wisdom, they come from his nature. Evangelical nihilism. Uh, you it, couldn't speak two words more contradicting. Yeah. Yeah, well, what what they're going for is they're saying, well, because we support uh, the the idea that there was election fraud, it's nihilistic, and we want to throw baby out with the bathwater. Uh, but you know... The, but, 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 but the takeaway is... What you come, the apologetic here is you come out and you say, no, 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 no. You've, you've got this on its head. 
We're saying that the institution is corrupt. Therefore, we must reform it. You're saying take down the institution. You're yes. saying 1611 project or 1619 project yeah. and take everything down, tear it all down because everything was bad. No, no, no. You're recontextualizing history from today's lens. Yep. Yep. You yeah. know, I, it, to me, as Christians, here, here's the deal. If, if I believe in nihilism when it comes to being a Christian, I'm, I'm not sure how you can hold to they're, both views because they're, they're directly, yeah, they, they are directly opposing. So again, people who don't know the terms, look at the dictionary, look at the term, and you can talk to the person. I've had people say F the dictionary right to my face. You know, uh, this, well, is, then th this is with racism. How can we debate? And, and so, you know, you, you just say, well, okay, let, you define it. You define it. So I know what you're saying. Always define your terms. That, that person who writes for Medium, low bar over there, unlike provoke to reason.com, uh, where we have a, buy, a high bar of journalistic standard. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But <laughs> Medium has a very low bar. Their, 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 their direct that they push through is gross in some cases. Some of it's okay. but I think uh, it's like ground scraping low there, John. That, <laughs> that one article? Ugh. Well, John Arthur, I want to give a few verses here speaking to this issue of hope. Um, I want to go to the book of Job, Job 6.11. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? There's a great philosophical question, if you will. That was spoken by Job. Now, you have to remember Job was, <laughs> he had everything. He was the modern day Jeff Bezos of his time. He had everything. And it was all wiped out. In 24 hours, gone. And he's got a lot of questions that he's asking. This is a man that walked with God and eschewed evil. There's probably nothing more that would make you question your faith than to have something like that happen. Very interesting. I want to go to some verses, though, in uh, the book of Psalms. Um, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 31 24. Um, Psalm 33, 22. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Uh, Psalm 38, 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. It doesn't take long. And by the way, there's a lot of verses in God's word about the issue of hope, but it all leads back to one person, Jesus Christ. That's where your hope is. It's not in mankind. And I go back to those four questions that every person will ask themselves at one point in their life. Maybe you that are listening today have never really contemplated this, but you ought to. Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the meaning and purpose of life? How do I reconcile right and wrong? The Christian worldview is the only worldview then that can answer those four questions. And without it, you are hopelessly lost and you do not know what to replace when you tear it down. That's actually a really good wrap up. You, you have anything else you'd like to say to wrap up? I'm going to go around from chairs uh, on, on just, the stream. I just want to say one thing about what you said on your uh Job comment, which you made, the just mm -hmm. the last few words of that when you said, like, what do I have to live for? Now, 
in today's just step on the culture chair just for a little bit, I want to put my foot on it, that in the young Make sure you group, wipe your boot off. Yeah, I'll, take, <laughs> I'll make sure I don't kick it around. But the gentleman that's sitting in Chicago on the roof, he knows that in the youth in black America, their idea with the nihilistic idea is, is that what do I have to live for? Mm-hmm. And he has said, they think they're not going to live past 21. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're only looking at that last few words of what Job said. What do I have to live for? They don't see the rest of what he's talked about and the rest of what God has to offer him and what he has gone through and what he got from God by through his faith and believing and knowing what his faith will bring him in God. These, these young men, they don't have it. They're brought up with no fathers. They think they have no hope. They're living off whatever the government happens to be throwing at them because why the government's carrying that big stick. They're not walking quietly, but they're carrying a big stick. They're hollering and screaming and carrying that big stick. And, you know, you've got these communities, inner city Chicago, and these guys just think, I have nothing to live for anymore, so what am I going to do? I'm going to get on TikTok or Facebook and I'm going to show that I got all of this money sitting here. And then what happens? Somebody shows up to their house, three or four guys, and goes and starts banging off at them. And then what happens? A three-year-old girl gets shot in the head in their house mm-hmm. when they go rattling mm-hmm. and want to go in and take this guy's money. And what do you read about it? You don't hear a thing on the news. It's not news anymore in it's Chicago. It's not news. No. And it's you don't terrible. hear about it. And then and what happens? 15 of them are killed in Chicago in one weekend. Do you hear about it in the news? Not at all. No, not anymore. one thing. So what what do these young black people think? My life doesn't matter. But BLM's going to jump up and go, black lives matter. With no good theology comes no philosophy. Yeah. And that, and that rides us really well over to the chair of culture. We're watching the fallout from that in places like Chicago, in places like Portland. So again, not to curse the darkness, but just uh, wrapping up today, put a fine point on it. Culturally, where does it start and what's some stuff that we can do this week moving forward, Melissa? I think just give somebody a little bit of hope and see what it takes off. I mean... You give someone says, I have nothing to live for, give them a little something to live for, whether it's, you know, you know invite them to church, yeah. invite them to a potluck, yeah, give them, give them a, a Bible pamphlet, give, give them something to grasp on and plant that seed and then see where it can take off. The, the biggest thing that I see that Chris, some Christians just miss, and I miss this a lot, is you have an opportunity to witness every day that you were out. I, I, I work from home, right? In a lot of cases, or I, I go to a studio and I work mostly by myself, surrounded by Christians. Uh, when I'm, when I have the opportunity, share, 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 share. I've 
you know, I've, I've had the opportunity when I'm in submission, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But guess what? That person needs the gospel more than you need your good day or your job. So be ready to share. Moving over to the chair of politics, we're watching how things are falling out. Do we see the potential brewing if we have this evangelical nihilism that uh, says that the government is, is no longer functioning according to its telos, its purpose. Do we have a, a storm brewing that might brew some uh, uh, tribulation or even persecution? Well, I think so. Um, you know, the purpose of government is to uh, promote good and punish evil. That's the biblical purpose of government. Politicians won't save you. Um, you need to take personal responsibility in your own life, in your own family, in your own church. And you need to vote for the people that are going to reflect those values that you hold. And be involved in your voting. Amen. The best way to have faith in your voting system, or maybe the best way to lose all faith, is to be in it. I am so tired of people whining and crying, oh, the system's rigged. I've heard people say that. And then I look at them and say, did you work in the primaries? Hello? Mm -hmm. did, you, did, did you volunteer? Hello? Take one day off. And go and work, or 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 or, or go work election day, or better yet, go work one of the the uh, uh, pre pre voting days. Go or early better voting. Better yet, run for office. But it's rigged. I, I hear so many Christians whine. It's like you are a, you have the spirit of Jesus Christ indwelling you. You are a victor. Do not whine about the problem. Get out there and solve it. Amen. And then again, chair of economics, just wrapping up. Remember, there is immense value in your time here. Do not lose it to the years of waste that, you know, some people will take years before they look at God. Then you know, they'll, they'll, they'll fall away from the faith. They'll come back and they'll look at nihilism and say, what did I do all those years? Oh, my goodness. There was value. There was value in that principle i've lost time we as a church i would say that we have lost time we have not been intellectually consistent i think the church has lost the debate in a lot of ways i know you guys are all of it's there i'm not saying that the debate isn't there i'm saying the debaters who are representing the truth have not been what we could have been i agree and yours truly included in that. I'm not cursing the darkness. I'm saying I've been guilty of this. You know, uh, I, was, I was on the plane the other day talking to a gal. You know, we were talking about how she left uh, youth group and, and whatever, and she doesn't believe it, this and that. And we, we had a conversation. I finally said, yeah, you know, uh, some people don't go to church anymore because they've been. Let's not be that. Mm hmm let's not be that make sure that when you reach out you are doing so in submission to christ so that is christ's love that they see thank you so much for joining us today hopefully that's been a fun podcast for you to listen to or interesting enlightening etc uh if we missed an argument and you wish to put it down in the comment section at provokedareason.com please go ahead and do that tell us what we missed tell us from which chair you're arguing like, comment, share, subscribe, all those good things. We are now past 17.5 thousand downloads. So it's slowly right. chugging along. Your listenership, we've got about uh, 4,000 tuning in a month. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, we really, really, really appreciate your listenership. And uh, we hope to earn it every time. 
uh, let us know what you think. Again, provokedreason.com. Go ahead and uh, just spell that out. Tell us what, what you got there. And uh, if you didn't like this podcast, well, come back again next time for more. Love you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. All right. All right. So if if you are still here, Again, we put you to sleep. I'm so sorry. Or you enjoy this and you're listening for the after the show question. I was going to say, we didn't put him to sleep on that one. Let's go ahead. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do the after the show question. Which institution do you think is the most uh, church, government, family? Which one do you think has been attacked the most and has suffered the most harm? Church, Ooh. government, or family? Melissa. Family. Family. I'd have to agree with that. Most definitely the family, John Arthur. With that in mind, it's unanimous. Start the cultural change with your family. family. Amen. Be the change yourself. Start it with your family. You guys tell us below what you think. And if you have an interesting story about your family being attacked by the culture, the fabric of your family, you want to share a testimony? Put it on down there, provoked to reason, T-O, not the number two, provoked to reason.com. Thank you so much. Love you. Bye-bye.